0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I'm trying desperately to remember how these things go. It's been a couple of weeks. We took a vacation. Lisa and I went to the American Southwest and uh, traveled around to a ton of national parks, and it was awesome. We went to the Grand Canyon, and Monument Valley, and Bryce Canyon, and Zion, and Capitol Reef, and Death Valley, and the Mojave, and a place called Gooseneck Hollow, which was gorgeous, and Red Rocks, and it was a whirlwind escapade, and it was great, and it was also the first time I've taken a couple of weeks off from podcasting in quite some time, and so... Might have a little bit of uh, podcast rust, so I'm going to try to bang that off of myself with a metaphoric hammer, and we'll, we'll see how things proceed from there. I also realized the other day that as of tomorrow, I will have been podcasting for five years. Five years ago, the first episode of the first podcast that I was on, uh, a show called Traveling Through the Bronze Age came out, and yeah, just kind of took it from there and haven't really slowed down since. So, happy anniversary, me. I got you this coffee. Aw, thanks, me. I got you this terrible joke I made up on vacation. So, do you know why it's called the Hoover Dam? It's because of the dam's reputation for excellent and prodigious fellatio that's why it's called hoover i'm kidding of course the dam is named after herbert hoover president herbert hoover turklewood who earned his nickname hoover through his reputation for excellent and prodigious fellatio and on that ridiculous note let's move on to our comic book Today's comic book is from the uh, Tales of the New Teen Titans miniseries, which features the origin of Raven, and we're going to be joined once again by my wonderful and brilliant wife Lisa, so stay tuned for that conversation. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. If you aren't a wine expert, you might call it chablis. If you're not a Bronze Age expert, here's a synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Tales of the New Teen Titans, number 2 July, 1982 Raven Written by Marv Wolfman Drotted by George Perez Inked by Pablo Marcos Lettered by Ben Oda Colored by Adrienne Roy And edited by Len Wein Teen Titan Roll Call, Starfire, Robin, Beast Boy, Cyborg, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, but mostly, Raven. Previously in the Tales of the New Teen Titans. The gang decided to head out on a camping trip to the Grand Canyon for a much-needed vacation and some team-building exercises. I guess when you have superpowers, you need something to raise the stakes of your trust falls. In the midst of a cookout, Cyborg took some time to stare off into the middle distance and reminisce wistfully about his origin story. Victor Stone was a child prodigy whose father pushed him too hard and was overbearing. He had a sheltered childhood, liked sports, feuded with his dad, and his best friend Ron was in a gang. Oh, and good news, racism doesn't exist. Hooray! Then an extra-dimensional fart monster ate most of Vic, so his dad built him a robot body which he used to beat up and maybe kill his buddy Ron, who was trying to blow up the United Nations building. Then he met the Teen Titans and could tell they were his real friends because they never tried to convince him that racism existed or tried to blow up the U.N. At the end of Vic's story, Raven started staring off into the middle distance and thinking about how strange it was to hear people talking about caring about each other because her whole life she was trained never to feel any emotions. Gadzooks! zooks How does Raven feel about not having any emotions? Does anyone have a more dysfunctional relationship with their father than Victor Stone? And if Raven grew up surrounded by people who insisted that she never discuss or acknowledge her emotions, which state in New England is she from? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, sad. She feels very sad about not having feelings. I gotta say, Raven makes a pretty decent case for herself here. And, look, I'm not being entirely fair. New Englanders are occasionally capable of expressing deep and heartfelt emotions. Provided that those emotions pertain to local sports teams. Go Sox. When Raven started staring off into the middle distance and looking wistful, the rest of the gang reasonably assumed that that was her cue to start narrating her previously undisclosed life story. Like you do. But, nope. Damn. That's so Raven. You think she's gonna zig and she's like... I swore many years ago that I must never zig, for were I ever to do so, the consequences would be most dire. Also, I must never zag, or laugh, or wear flat-soled shoes. Then she goes to bed. Fair enough. Huh. I thought we were going to get her origin this issue. Oh well. Maybe we'll just get some fun camping shenanigans. One time when I was on a camping trip, a friend of mine tried to shotgun a can of Tecate, only it turned out to be a can of Coke and he threw up all over the place. Heh. <laughs> I see Beast Boy doing that. Later that night, Raven has a terrible dream. Her extra-dimensional evil douchebag dad, Trigon, is trying to kill her. Trigon's a big red guy with four eyes, antlers, and a flair for the dramatic. It looks as though the demonic dad is destined to dispatch his dreaming daughter, but... Second subsequent to the slumbering superheroine being slaughtered, a certain sympathetic semblance superimposes itself seemingly supernaturally into the supine sorceress's subconscious. It's Raven's mom, Arella. There's probably a word for mom that starts with S, but I just got back from vacation and my alliteration game is a little rusty. Anyway, a giant vision of Arella shows up and tells Raven to calm down the apparition doesn't have the soporific effect on Raven's dream self that one might hope for. Possibly because Dream Mom goes on to say that Trigon only wants the part of Raven's soul that is rightfully his, and that no one can stop him. And possibly because after saying that, Arella's face melts and her skull starts laughing at Raven. You know, I don't know a ton about dream analysis, but I think Raven might have some issues with her parents. Either that or she's nervous about starting a new job. It's probably one of those. Anyway, Dream Raven says something about letting Trigon's own power be his undoing and sends her soul-self bird-shadow thing out to fight her douchebag dream dad. But Trigon just shrugs it off and laughs at her. Raven wakes up screaming, No! By Azor! No! The rest of the gang hears her screams and rushes to her tent to see if they can help. Wally specifically makes it a point that he would recognize Raven's voice anywhere. Oh yeah? Good for you, buddy. Glad you can pick your crush's voice out of all the hundreds of people you know who swear by Azar when they're distressed. Yeah, nice hustle there, speedster. Her teammates crowd around the Azerathian empath and solicit as to her well-being. At first, the avian enthusiast stoically insists that she's fine but eventually she succumbs to the narrative structure of this miniseries and says, You know how I said I wasn't going to narrate the previously undisclosed details of my origin? Well, I changed my mind. What's that off in the middle distance? Why, it looks like my previously undisclosed origin. Raven's mom was a disturbed teenage runaway, who got mixed up in the occult and ended up accidentally joining an evil cult that worshipped Trigon. She took part in a Rosemary's Baby-style ceremony that summoned the antlered asshole. He first appeared to her as a totally hot, non-antlered, non-evil dude, and was super nice to her. He took her to a super chill Garden of Eden-looking dimension, they boned down, and she got preggers. Then Trigon went full Trigon. He turned giant, red, antlered, four-eyed, and was an abusive asshole who hit her and yelled at her. There's also, I think, some implied sexual violence. It's gross, and I don't want to fixate on it, but I don't want to pretend it's not there, so... Yeah. Gross. It turns out, Trigon's had a bunch of kids. But they usually get murdered by his enemies or are killed by their own moms before they grow up. So, Trigon tossed Raven's mom back to Earth where the child would be safe. Because on Earth, children are always safe from harm. Especially... Children of single, traumatized parents with no resources and nowhere to turn for support. Yeah, way to do your research, Trigon. Raven's mother-to-be was understandably freaked out. She took a double fistful of pills and planned on quietly ODing while she curled up in an alleyway. The elders of Azerath had other plans. When she was on the verge of death, a robed figure showed up in the alleyway, took her hand, and teleported her to the mystical paradise of Azerath. Azerath was a gleaming utopia of marble, with a pretty sky and a bunch of bird-themed statues and architecture all over the place. Also, it smelled nice. An old beardy-robed dude told the young mother that her new name was Arella, which meant messenger angel. Huh. Seems a little pushy to rename someone, but I guess this wasn't the newly christened Arella's first cult, so she seemed to take things in stride. Beardo, whose name I guess is Coman, went on to tell Arella that the reason he brought her to Azerath was so that the world would be protected from the wrath of Trigon's daughter who was currently growing in her womb. I mean, it seems like the world also would have been protected if he had left the mother and unborn daughter to die in that alleyway, but hey, let's not look a gift beardo in the mouth. There was also a red-haired dude on Azerath who was named Juris who thought this whole thing was a bad idea. More on him later. Everyone was nice to Arella and shit seemed chill. Then, Raven was born. You know how sometimes when someone has a kid, they'll say, My entire world changed the instant my child was born. Well, they don't usually mean that quite as literally as it was in Raven's case. As soon as she was born, Azeroth's sky went from blue-green to jet-black. Lightning and earthquakes wrecked about two-thirds of the marble columns, and the whole place started smelling like egg farts. At least I don't think that's what most parents mean by that statement. I'm not a father myself, so maybe I've been misinterpreting things. Hey, remember Juris that red-haired malcontent from a few seconds ago? Well, for some reason, he reckoned that all the earthquakes and sky-darkening and fart stinks were some kind of a bad omen. Crazy, right? Juras figured that the only way to save Azerath was to yoink the infant raven and skedaddle back to Earth with her and raise her himself. He would be banished from Azerath forever, but it would save the utopia that he loved. Hoisting the newborn over his head like he was planning on making an inbounds pass, the self-sacrificing zealot made a scramble towards Azerath's Great Door, a portal which connected Azerath to Earth. Joris was seconds from passing through the mystical egress, when a giant laser beam shot through the door and vaporized him, leaving Baby Raven crying lying in a pile of thoroughly dehydrated former Azerathian. Dang. Beardo came along and picked up Raven, handing her back to her mom. At this point, he reveals to us that he isn't actually the leader of Azeroth. Turns out the true leader of Azeroth is... You. The reader. Just kidding. It turns out that Azeroth is run by an old lady slash possible goddess who we've never seen or heard about before, named, imaginatively enough, Azar. Azar, I guess, is both a name- and a hereditary title. A few thousand years ago, the first Azar led a group of her followers to Azarath from Earth. She lived a few hundred years, then Azar's daughter Azar took over and was leader for several hundred years, then her granddaughter Azar took over, and so on until we get to present day, when Azarath is led by an old lady named, you guessed it, Azar. Azar holds a big town meeting and asks that Raven be brought to her. The Azerathian's elderly leader does a pretty convincing PowerPoint presentation about how if they were to cast Raven out of Azerath, the whole universe would probably blow up, and that's a bad thing. Well, that settles that. After her thoroughly convincing audio-visual presentation, Azar insists that Arella turn Raven over to her care so that she can train the potential Antichrist and teach her to control her inner demons as she grows. Raven pauses in her storytelling to make the point that the demon she would attempt to control was no external foe, but a part of her very soul. Fair enough. Young Raven's early life seems mostly to have consisted of a training montage during which Azar taught her to submerge her emotions and how to meditate and how to teleport. I guess most Azerathians can do that stuff. But Raven was the only person in the city slash country slash whatever Azerath is who had empathic powers and could heal people and cure pain by sucking it up into herself. Raven takes a second to lay down a few of the ground rules of her healing stuff. She can't cure diseases or complicated injuries, but she can ease people and animals' pains by absorbing them and feeling them herself, which totally sucks for her. Arella missed her daughter, and Raven missed her mom, but they were both told that Raven's isolation was for the best. A few years later, Azar died of being 300, which, all things considered, isn't such a bad thing to die of. I kind of hope that's how I go. Despite not being allowed to feel any emotions, Azar's passing made Raven real, real sad, and she cried a bunch. Which was fine with everybody, because I guess sadness doesn't count as an emotion, which is good to know. Azar left her young pupil her rings, which don't seem to be magic or anything, but hey, free rings, so that's nice. After Azar, who was the last of the Azars, death, Beardo and Arella took over Raven's training. She did well in her studies, but when she turned 13, Raven started having horrific, creepy dreams about her demonic dad Trigon. Raven had been previously unaware of her father's identity, and was understandably disturbed at learning the circumstances of her birth. Beardo shows up and decides to share another Azerathian secret with us. Trigon may be Raven's dad, but in a sense, the city-slash-whatever of Azerath is Trigon's dad. What? So I guess that makes the city-slash-whatever Raven's grandpa? Possibly. It turns out that a few thousand years ago, when the settlers of Azeroth departed Earth, they first decided to purge all of the evil from their respective souls. Sounds good, I guess. But rather than becoming better people through study and introspection and, I don't know, meditation or something, they all just kind of wadded up all their evil and hucked it into another dimension. Seriously? Come on, guys. Do you want Trigons? Because this is how you get Trigons. Yep. That evil formed and grew and festered and after a few hundred years turned into a giant red asshole with four eyes and some antlers. Way to go, Azerath. Just when Beardo finishes telling Raven about how being spiritual litterbugs helped form her piece-of-shit dad, there's a knock at Azerath's great door. A caller At this hour? Who could that be? Huh? I'll give you three guesses. What? No, no, it's not Paul Lynde. Why would you even guess that? You you know what? I'm taking away your other two guesses. It's Trigon, obviously. Fucking Paul Lynde. What were you thinking? Trigon tells Raven that he's come to claim her so that they can be evil together and crush the universe and all of that. Raven tells him to fuck off, that living in Nazareth has taught her that peace is nice and good things are good. Trigon tells his daughter that that's all a bunch of bullshit, and that he's been manipulating Azerath this whole time, and has arranged somehow for her to be brought there so that she could be trained in a way that he could easily subvert and corrupt. At this point, Arella appears and interrupts the dysfunctional daddy-daughter time, demanding that Trigon leave Raven alone. Trigon declines to comply, opting instead to mystically slap Arella around and temporarily make her age 60 years or so what an asshole. Unable to watch her mother be abused, Raven lashes out, and for the first time forms that weird bird-shaped soul thing that she does, attempting to use the dark avatar to strike at her sinister sire. This, it seems, is what Trigon was waiting for. Proclaiming that the bird thing represents Raven's dark side, the side of her that is his, Trigon goes on to pour all of his dark energy into the astral bird, further imbuing Raven with his own dark energy. After filling his daughter's soul with his own evil essence or whatever, Trigon gives her the standard, Come to the dark side, stop resisting your true nature, bad is good, good is dumb, speech. Raven resists with all her might, but when Trigon calls to her and tells her to go with him and be evil, she cannot resist his summons. She follows him to the door of Azeroth. And he slams the door in her face and is like, Just kidding! I just wanted to make sure it worked and that you couldn't resist me. You just cramped my evil deadbeat dad style right now, but I'll be back later. Bye, loser. Man. What an asshole. Anyway, that's the story. A few years later, Raven turned 18 and went and helped recruit the new Teen Titans, but a piece of Trigon still lives in her tummy and could come out and take over her bird self whenever she gets mad or feels love or is annoyed or feels, you know... Pretty much any emotion. Except for sad. For some reason sad seems cool. After hearing Raven's somewhat nonsensical tale of woe, Beast Boy starts grinning his ass off. Cyborg asks him what gives and Gar responds by saying, well all that stuff she said sure seemed like it sucked for her. I'm just stoked it wasn't me. I for one have no intention whatsoever of staring off into the middle distance anytime soon. No siree. You'll never catch me wistfully contemplating my origin, my origin, my origin. To be continued. And unfortunately, Corey ate a cursed hot wing and was subsequently banished to the land of wind and ghosts. He'll be back next week, but in his stead is my good-for-everything wife, Lisa. Lisa, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, but I have to make a confession, Hub.
0: Did you curse the hot wing? No.
1: (laughs) No, my confession is that I'm not good for everything. What? I know. I had hubris last week, and I just wanted to, you know, make the admission in front of our friends and you that I'm good for most things.
0: We'll see. Anyway, what did you think of the issue? Uh. Yeah, I get that. I had a similar reaction to it. I definitely found more of interest in it upon rereading. But yeah, that was that was pretty much my initial stance on it was this is confusing. Yeah. And I don't really get the point. It introduce some new information that I think was used in subsequent storylines and is being used in current ones in the, in the series didn't necessarily hold together as a straight narrative at least at least not on first blush
1: and I mean I read it three times
0: mm-hmm. I don't have
1: as much of a background in the characters as you do I will openly admit but I still found it difficult to follow like with cyborg at least you could kind of get an understanding of how they were planning on using the character and what the what purpose the character served. With this, I kind of think I maybe made something up. Oh. But... <laughs> well, I'm curious to find out
0: what that is. We can get into that in a little bit.
1: Yeah, but um, I'm not sure if it's as cohesive in the same way. Maybe her character doesn't matter as much.
0: It's a more nebulous character that I think he has a less clear handle on. She's a character whose powers and backstory I've read at this point. I know she branches off more and there are more crossovers and things. But at this point, as as of the point of this issue coming out, I think I had read all of her appearances. And there's still a ton about her that I don't know. And part of it is, I think part of her raison d'etre is being enigmatic. Oh, gotcha. But it also is kind of a... Sometimes her powers can do anything. Sometimes they can't do anything.
1: And honestly, I know that she's empathic. I don't know if that's because her dad's Trigon or because she's just an empath. I know that she has some sort of weird soul thing that doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: Yeah, that really doesn't it make doesn't. a ton of sense to me. Either.
1: <laughs> In general, it just doesn't make sense. Right. It's like when she manifests emotion, she has this amazing power. Is maybe what I
0: get. Maybe. Okay. Yes. I, I think that might be part of it. Overall, one of the problems that I had with this issue is the artwork is very good. Yeah,
1: the artwork's beautiful.
0: But it's not as good as it usually is, frankly. Mm. It's This is probably my least favorite of the George Perez art that we've had so far. And I think a big part of that is it is a different inker in this issue. It's a guy named Pablo Marcos who... I'm not a particular fan of. He did the pencils on maybe my least favorite of the original Teen Titans run, which was issue 44, which it was a really bad issue. And I don't think normally the inks on the regular series are done by a guy named Romeo Tangal. And I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm spacing. I don't remember the person who did the inks on the first issue of the Tales of the Teen Titans series. But he doesn't seem to have as good a grasp on the details of the character. The background details are there mostly, but like the character faces, the character designs, the bodies, they don't look quite as crisp or quite as sharp as I think we're used to.
1: Um, I'm sorry, and you can totally cut this out, but what does an inker do and what does a penciler do?
0: The penciler does all of the initial drawing, mm-hmm. uh, and then the inker goes and like traces oh, gotcha. over it with inks and highlights, which uh, parts need to be bolded and stuff like that. And depending on the dynamic between that particular penciler and inker, the amount of work that the inker does, it really varies for... Which working relationship you have. Mm. Sometimes they end up doing quite a lot of the work, and the inker will be left with to fill in most of the background. And sometimes they really do just kind of trace over parts and like go over gotcha. lines and make some of them thicker so that they'll show up better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ba- basically the the penciler draws everything in pencil, and then the inker goes over in an ink.
1: That would make sense with their names.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of times the some of the heavier detail work is left to the anchor. Gotcha. And it's not a bad job. It's just not as good a job as we're used to seeing. And it's seeing. not
1: as consistent with what you're used to seeing with these characters is the big problem. Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's like I said, still George Perez. It mostly looks very good, but how intimidating Trigon is varies wildly from page to page in this mm, where he's mm-hmm. depicted.
1: I will say pretty intimidating though.
0: Yeah, overall. Yeah, overall. overall yeah. Inti-
1: and that space, some of that space art, Prima.
0: Yeah, there's some nice space stuff happening. <laughs> I enjoy that. <laughs> Let's get into some of the bigger picture stuff with the character of Raven. What did you think of her characterization in this issue?
1: Um, I'm having some difficulty. In what way? Uh, I don't know if she has a character, <laughs> aside from being kind of sad.
0: Oh, um, no, that's the thing. She's not sad. She can feel no emotion.
1: Oh, the entire time, whenever she spoke, I I had her voice sound like this in my head.
0: I always have her sound like this. Because she's like goth and kind of a ghost, maybe. But yeah, I I actually wrote down no emotions. Oh, you know, except for sad. Sad's fine. (laughs) Apparently sad can't summon Trigon. It is weird that like she definitely goes like full goth pretty much.
1: You mean in this issue?
0: I think in general.
1: Oh, in general. I didn't see that in this issue. I just saw like... So, this woman was put into, like, was created because of basically the sins of the father, but really it's the sins of this entire society. Or yes, bas- that's how
0: Trigon was created, that's how and tri- then she is the offspring of Trigon. So,
1: Trigon was created because these people are naturally evil. There's some, like, some sort of pseudo-Christian, like, ideology behind, all, like, her entire backstory, I feel like. Did you, mm-hmm. did you get that at all? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So... These people are naturally evil. In order to become pacifists, they have to excise that evil. It goes out into space, and then some people summon something, and Trigon's created. Trigon has some offspring through uh, another demon ritual thing, and mm-hmm. uh, that offspring's Raven. And Raven is taken to a space peace world Mm -hmm. and as a fetus and is born and the world changes its tenor entirely and becomes evil brimstone sky place. Mm Her existence and her way of being in that world is, like, she has to suppress all emotion, but can be the most empathic person ever. So, like, a perfectly rational, perfectly empathic female to erase the evils of all society.
0: (laughs) Yes. And also, I think the way that her powers work, and I'm kind of just Calvin balling this (laughs) shit, but... It seems like she has incredible destructive force within her that she must work constantly to suppress. There is not no analogies in there.
1: (laughs) I know, but it's like, it's so half-assed.
0: It is, but it's, I think it's a trope that you'll find coming up a few times. There's another bird character in a popular team book called the Phoenix in the X-Men. That's the Dark Phoenix, and her whole deal is... She has all of this power, but she has to suppress it and keep it within her because if she unleashes it, she could destroy the universe. There's this really common thread, I think, that runs through a lot of comics that is if there is a powerful woman or a woman who has the potential to be powerful, that's somehow almost intrinsically wrong. Yeah. And she has to use all of her powers to suppress any Mm. assertiveness and stay feminine, you know.
1: Yeah, and and what's interesting with her is that her power also comes from a man.
0: Yeah, and that really within the story, at at no point does she seem to have any real agency. agency.
1: Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to most every time in comic books, though, right?
0: <laughs> a lot of times, yeah. It, it's it's funny that thread runs through not just her, but that's kind of Starfire has that some of that aspect of her as well too where she has this amazing power that she can use but that she has to work because otherwise she'll fly into berserker rage and destroy everything she has to learn to keep her emotions in check and that's the through line Mm. and that's the through line for raven that's the through line for starfire and as i mentioned I'm, i'm less familiar with phoenix and With the Phoenix story, there are different reads on that story, certainly. And there are probably different reads on these as well. I know that with the Phoenix Force, there is a read on that story where the the problem isn't necessarily that she intrinsically has this power, but that she was gaslighted by these dudes Mm -hmm. who who Mm -hmm. fucked with her brain and kind of...
1: Which isn't happening at all in this story. There's a woman who's teaching her how to control all of her emotions.
0: Right. Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff going on Uh in this. But I
1: don't... Here's the thing. I don't know how purposeful it is. Like, with the cyborg tale, it was very much kind of almost a moralizing sort of story about race in a way. right? Right. With this, it's like... I don't. I don't know some stuff.
0: I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just internalized that this is the story that you tell about women who have powers.
1: Well, I mean, that would also be why it's so confusing. <laughs>
0: it, it could <laughs> be. It, no it, it, it to also. It. it seemed like there were parts of the story that were tacked on as it went. along. Yeah,
1: there was some bad editing. Um,
0: what would be an instance of that?
1: Well, mostly on page seventeen, there's this little caption. When uh, Raven is meditating and her mom is saying how she ignores her, Raven Raven's narration goes, My mother could not know that all was as Azar decreed, but that I could not enlighten her and break my word to Azar. I don't know where that story happened or where that conversation ever happened. Like, Azar never said anything to her about that.
0: For whatever reason, that didn't bother me. I mean, I think there was kind of the montage of azar training her and i think you can kind of read in she may she might have said a lot of shit then you're right if it's something that she makes a callback to it should have it should have been stated explicitly well it also
1: seemed like there was maybe some richer storyline in there about the tension between azar and her mother that while it was talked about briefly it just like that particular callback didn't make very much sense to me but that did most of the story so let's continue
0: Really, the whole introduction of Comant as a character didn't seem necessary until after Azar's death. Like, they get there. He's, like, the high priest guy. Oh, gotcha.
1: I was like, who are you talking about? Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, first of all, like, everything in Azarath seems to be, like, bird-named mm-hmm. shit. Why not just call him Cormorant, then? Oh. That'd be better. Like, why half-ass that shit? Yes, true.
1: Is Azar a bird?
0: Probably. Yes. <laughs> it's like a bigger raven. It goes crow, raven, azar.
1: No, it goes it goes crow, fat crow, raven, azar.
0: <laughs> Quite. We had a discussion when we were at the Grand Canyon, a, a kind of ongoing argument where what were apparently ravens, I thought were just fat crows.
1: <laughs> no, how about we say it better? What I said were raven... <laughs> upset were fat crows for like three days. Yeah.
0: My only experience with ravens were the ones at the Tower of London, which are freaking enormous. So the fat crows that are hanging out at the Grand Canyon, which are apparently ravens, just look like fat crows.
1: (laughs) Their beaks are different shapes. Let's continue.
0: (laughs) Okay, fine. But I think that maybe the ones at the Tower of London were technically Azars. (laughs)
1: Four fat ravens.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Quite a taxonomy going on. So I made a list of... These are the things that I think are just new shit that got introduced in this story that are part of the storyline going on. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of new stuff that happens, like the the dude who... Juris. Oh, yeah. Who sounds, I, I kind of liked him, sounds honestly. Like,
1: sounds like Judas.
0: A little bit. And also But Judge. also... But also like jurists, like jurisprudence, like Mm. he was just because he wasn't that bad a dude, really.
1: And he knew what he was doing was against their laws.
0: Right. But like, it wasn't like he was trying to kill her either. He was like, I'm just going to take her out of here and I'll raise her myself and I'll be banished, but it'll be for the good of this society. And sorry.
1: But here's the thing. Yeah. I think that Azar was kind of maybe in cahoots with Trigon.
0: I mean, as a society, kind of. I meant the lady. Yeah.
1: She was wearing red and Trigon wears red. It's oh, well, there body. you go. <laughs> no, but seriously, like there is, like she says, if Raven didn't come here, like Earth would be destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. And she takes Raven and Trigon. And so he at the end, Trigon, meaning, um, he meaning Trigon, Sure. Says, I ordained that Azarath adopted you, for I knew that, that you'd be safe until I needed you. Yeah. So maybe he manipulated or did something to Azar in order to get... I mean, she...
0: I think that's the idea. Yeah. I think we're supposed to get that. Over oh, okay. There. Yeah.
1: This comic book makes me feel kind of stupid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not you, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so basically, Trigon's like the Danny DeVito to Azarath's Arnold Schwarzenegger from the movie Twins. where they split and all of the bad stuff I've seen twins. Who
1: do you think I am?
0: (laughs) I have an ongoing feud with the movie Twins. Have I explained it to you?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Okay, so as they explain it in the movie, they're twins, but we're not identical. Okay, as they explain the science in it, they are identical twins because they talk about the uh, cell splitting and all of the bad stuff went to Danny DeVito and all of the good stuff went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's kind of the process that Trigon is. So he has some kind of like an almost symbiotic relationship with Azar. He's their Danny DeVito.
1: I think Azarath is the name of the city and Azar is the name of the woman.
0: Sorry, did I say...
1: You said Azar, but I think I was using Azar as a
0: substitute for the city as well. So Either way, one of them's a root word of the other. (laughs) I don't think they got rid of all of their like bad stuff when they decided to peace out for... Peace land, mm-hmm. because you're in the city after yourself, and there's a little hubris going on in there.
1: Yeah, I think that again, it seems to me like a very Christian sort of, and I don't know if that's the right. I don't. I wasn't raised well, that way, so I don't know if that's the right way to characterize it. But it seems like a lot of the ethos and like the moralizing in this tale is like a Christian based system.
0: Well, kind of a cast the serpent out of the Garden of Eden, yeah. and then it's a perfect place. <laughs>
1: Kind of, yeah. And I mean, they do make a couple of references to Christianity pretty explicitly.
0: Yeah, so the new shit that I think gets introduced that is part of the ongoing continuum of the Teen Titans comics in this. This is the first time we see that Azeroth was a matriarchy. Mm. I think it had been initially implied, but then anytime we saw it being run, it was like... Cormorant, which is what I'm going to call that dude from now on, and a bunch of other old bald white beardy dudes. So finding out that it was initially a matriarchy.
1: Because who else knows about peace except for old white bald beardy
0: dudes? Apparently also like several hundred year old ladies do too. Fair enough. We find out that Azerath made Trigon, Mm -hmm. which is certainly new canon. We find out that Raven's bird thing is somehow a manifestation of her darker powers, rather than due to training she received in Azerath, at least rather than exclusively due to training she received in Azeroth. Although, yeah, which stuff she can do because of her dad and which stuff she can do because of her training, still very much up in the air. And we learned that Raven's birth wrecked the joint when she showed up. I think those are the main points that are, like, new that will be referenced more going forward.
1: Mm. Did her birth really wreck it, or did it just change the color of the sky? <laughs> Let's be honest here.
0: It seemed like there's less columns than there used oh, to be.
1: Oh, yeah, some columns got knocked over.
0: And it's smellier now. Oh,
1: it stinks like stinks like farts.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's brimstone instead of jasmine. That's, I mean, you know, these are all just, like, they're not necessarily intrinsically good or bad changes I suppose technically but they are objective changes I think the destruction of the columns is probably a change for the worst generally Mm -hmm. columns are great love columns
1: do you need more columns in our house
0: yeah but I mean (laughs) Doric which kind of columns do you want Ionic what's going
1: on is Ionic a type
0: uh unclear it's a kind of bonding (laughs) which I definitely (laughs) approve over covalent (laughs) You gotta swap those electrons. You can't just share them. That's not a bond.
1: I think sharing is a bond.
0: (laughs) Oh! You're so covalent.
1: (laughs) Man, I'm space.
0: Fair. So that's most of the story. Definitely some heavy Rosemary's Baby vibes going on with the origin.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that was kind of weird that I took away from it in general was like depictions of sexuality. Um, yeah. so at first when you're seeing her mom's relationship with Trigon, mm-hmm. like it's, it like the whole thing is like an abusive relationship in a way. Yes. Like he impregnates her and changes and then he, he leaves her and all she ever wanted was love. And I was like, okay, you know, pretty strong, um, abusive relationship vibes. And then like when he is visiting her in her nightmares... It's creepy. Like the imagery of him on her bed. Yeah. It's is like a little a little rapey and creepy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got that overtones okay. and, and I wasn't entirely sure if it was intentional or not. It really seems like it in some of the language that he's using. It's I think is being purposefully unclear in what capacity. Yeah. He, he wants her. wants his yeah. daughter. And yeah. Creepy and gross.
1: Yeah, and just like very, it's super not overt. I mean, I don't think that they would be able to do that at this this time in this sort of, but it just, it had this like weird gloss to it that made me go, ooh.
0: Yeah, and not that aspect of it, but in the initial telling of her origin, uh, which was I think in New Teen Titans 6, the sexualization of her inception is way more overt.
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: yeah. And just really creepy.
1: So maybe they just don't know what to do with this character.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's part of what you run up against when you have, when you have a character who, as I said, if you're doing a like quick points, who is this character? I think the first thing you come up against is enigmatic. Once you're in your fourth year of having this character and you're adding an or- more to her origin, keeping... Her powers and her motivation and her character intentionally vague becomes more and more difficult and less rewarding, I think.
1: Well, I think she also is, like you mentioned that, you know, she has no agency. I think it's really hard to maintain a character with no agency for that long.
0: Yeah, and I think they're trying to i mean this is her origin story so you mm-hmm. don't see as much of the character development at this point point. and she did leave azarath and you know recruited the team titans and was kind of nominally at least at first more of a team leader and kind of put the team together and and has displayed more agency in in terms of some of the things that she's done and has certainly made some of her own choices but yeah still in in general yeah it's a no problem
1: well, I just think it's hard to write. Like, if you don't have somebody who has any motivation aside from, like, not to do something, you know, or to, like, suppress emotion. If you have somebody without any sort of real movement forward, yeah, what's the point?
0: Yeah, if somebody's motivation is entirely in the negative, like, yeah. I don't want to do this, I don't want this to happen.
1: It's just, well, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like with life.
0: Yeah, there was uh, an interview I was watching about the Ramones uh, a little while ago, and they were talking about the fact that their first, like, four or five songs, which were all really short, were, like, I don't want to go down into the basement, uh, and, like, most of the, like, they were I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. But the way they phrased it was, like, yeah, I don't think we had a positive song until now I want to sniff some glue. (laughs) So, yeah, and I, again, I think it's... Another thing which I keep coming back to about not just Raven, but a lot of characters, it comes up with Rom. It comes up with any character who is overtly saying that they must suppress all of their emotions. They're all so fucking emo about not having any emotions. It's ridiculous. They're the most emotional characters that there there are. It's like, it makes me so sad that I can never feel any emotion at all. It's Like, you should just be fucking like Data. He's not always whining about that shit.
1: He actually kind of is.
0: He is, but he does it in a way that makes sense. I am very rational. Exactly. They should say (laughs) things like that. Why can't Raven be more like Data?
1: (laughs) That's really the talking point for this episode. They're both
0: very pale.
1: (laughs) They were both engineered.
0: Yep. Yep. Good call. Good call. Another thing that I found a little bit jarring about it was like, I wanted the issue to open up with them at the Grand Canyon. and like sitting around and it does make an allusion to it it opens with her having a dream after having skipped her turn at the campfire telling stories but stories have a way of being told anyway but i missed that as a framing device and it did get back to it a little bit but every time it did get back to it other characters would be trying to relate to her and would be like, whether this is a good or not good technique for relating to somebody, it's one that I think I do more often than I should, which is when somebody says something that happened, you, you'll they'll respond by saying, oh, I know what that's like. I had something similar happen to me. I know that's not always, that's not a great way to go about it. And I'm working on it.
1: I can actually tell you. Yes. Right now. Okay. The best techniques for relating to somebody. You ready? Yeah. So if, if you're trying to relate to somebody, some of the best things that you can do is reflective listening. So listen to what they say and say, oh my gosh, I just heard how painful that sounds. The other thing, so like naming emotions is a big thing you can do. And then you also like want to summarize what they're saying. So you're like, oh, I heard that your dog died and you have this um, trouble with your spouse. And, you know, that sounds like that's a lot to deal with. Do you want to talk more about X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. And that really helps people to open up. Very good. Reflective listening, guys. Look it up. It's magic.
0: But the way that her teammates are trying to relate to her is by saying, Oh, I hear that you went through that. And try to be sympathetic and saying that I understand what that's like. I went through a similar thing. And her response every time is a kind of weird like one-upsmanship where... Like, Coriander's like, that reminds me of my training on Okara. And Raven's like, yes, but you couldn't accidentally destroy the universe if you let yourself go unchecked. I feel like maybe they, Starfire did a very good job of just being like, like well, kind of could. <laughs> and blow up a lot of stuff. Starfire. <laughs> Over here, you know. Yeah. Good at blowing stuff up. I
1: think that the thing when you don't when you don't handle your emotions correctly, <laughs> when you're not able to process them and let them move through you the way that you should, mm-hmm. what happens is you just turn into kind of an asshole and really upset all the time.
0: <laughs> well, fortunately, Raven doesn't have any emotions.
1: <laughs> she does. She suppresses them. She mentioned that oh, multiple times. Oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, Cyborg does that too, and he he's like. A, oh yeah, that's around the same time that my dad took over my training uh, when Azar took over uh, Raven's training. And, and she's like, yes, but I never even met my father. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And then
0: there, there's another one where I think Gar says something. But it, it's this weird like
1: well, you know what? It also, one-upsmanship. Yeah, it also makes me feel like she and Wally deserve each other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing that Wally at the end is just like, why didn't you tell us this before, Raven? I think she had told them some of it. I think she had told them some of it before, and after she does tell them about it, he immediately forgets all of it anyway, so what difference does it make?
1: Sounds like they're actually pretty okay for each other.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe they are, because, uh, she really would never feel any emotion for him. (laughs) (laughs) Burn, Wally! Another thing that we do find out is that Azerath uses the British spelling system. Oh,
1: that's important.
0: Because they say fiber, F-I-B-R-E. So probably they would spell tire with a Y and... Uh, color with a U. Color with a U. Gray with an E. Mm-hmm. Everything's a biscuit or a pudding. <laughs> and trucks are lorries. Oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: lose and lifts, right?
0: Uh-huh. And a flashlight is a torch. Uh-huh. hmm When I was a teenager, I, I was in London for... I was in High Wycombe for a little while, and we went into London, and we saw the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show that was, it had one of the authors of the Rocky Horror Picture Show was in it, and he's the guy who played Riff Raff in the movie, and he played Riff Raff in the stage production. But they made a reference to people not shining their, not using their torches during their performance. And I was like, what? What do they have to put up with in the theater? They take their theater seriously here. <laughs> uh,
1: it's adorable that you didn't grow up with Harry Potter the way that I did, and so, like, didn't have this, like, Environmental fetish, fetishization of British language in your life. No, seriously though. Yeah. It was like a thing.
0: Was there anything else about the story you wanted to talk about? Are you ready to move on to the minutiae? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick.
1: Thanks, Rick.
0: What did you feel like starting with?
1: Uh, let's start with the bozo.
0: Okay, what instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight?
1: This one was pretty hard.
0: There wasn't a ton of fun banter going on in this issue. No, it was
1: a pretty somber issue, but on page four... I did find something that I thought was a pretty good bozone. It's when Raven calls them her friends.
0: <laughs> Ouch.
1: <laughs> it's honestly, it was also the only thing I could
0: find. Okay, let's uh, let's take a look at that.
1: It's that panel right there.
0: Okay. Raven, we're all your friends. If something is troubling you, maybe we can help. And even if we can't, sometimes just talking about our pains makes them easier to bear. You are all my friends. My only friends. (laughs) I don't really see how that's her calling them bozos. Because they're
1: being bozos because they're her friends and she's kind of (laughs) mean.
0: Okay, fair enough. I decided to go with uh, one towards the end. Which is Cyborg talking to Beast Boy and saying, "What are you grinning about, Salad Head?"
1: Oh, Salad head's actually really good. Can I yeah. change mine to Salad Head?
0: Mm, <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> Sustained.
1: I agree. Salad Head's better than me, me being mean about Raven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can be mean about Raven. I I didn't really get that one, but. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, not a ton of banter in this yeah. issue. So difficult to pick out a, a good zinger. But uh, that, that was the one that, that I decided to go with. Timestamp or show and tell? I couldn't find any kind of a timestamp in this one. But I did have a show and tell. Did you have one?
1: Uh, I had a lot of difficulty with this.
0: I did too. Um,
1: I thought the artwork was overall pretty good. Mm-hmm. I The one uh, show and tell I thought maybe could be you know maybe stated was uh like pages nine to ten there's the destruction of Mm azarath i just thought the pictures did a lot of the work yeah and they didn't really necessarily need as much exposition but yeah like they uh there's a picture of our lovely columns crumbling and it says our world world shook and rumbled with protest and you know you just have a column crumbling that's a pretty iconic image yeah I think that's fair. What did you, what did you find?
0: I went with our buddy Cormorant's description of the gooification of Juris. It's he's just been like laser blasted from a bolt from beyond, which we find out later came from Trigon, although I think that was kind of obvious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Cormorant describes what has just happened to the people who were just there when it just happened and says, the door slammed shut on its own. Juris is gone. Destroyed. Yeah, they were all there. They they all saw that. But it's also, I mean, it's tough because so much of this story, almost the entirety of the story, is flashback exposition. So it's tough to tell what is like a secondhand story that Raven heard that she's relating and... It's tough to find. I had a really tough time with that one as well.
1: you had an eagle eye there, my friend.
0: Well, thank you. Good eye. Yes. With all of my bird parts, I'd fit right in in Azeroth. Uh
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: What was your favorite sound effect?
1: I think there were three. And one of them was no, and one of them was (laughs) (laughs) ha-ha-ha. So I picked the only one that was not one of those, which was... Iaga.
0: Now, see, there was an IA and there was also an Iaga. Oh.
1: Um. Which I picked Iaga.
0: Which page was that on? Seventeen. Okay. Uh, I went with I, which was on page eleven. The I is the noise it makes oh. when Juris is being disintegrated. And the Iagra is, I think, when Raven is having her bad dream, Mm -hmm. which it's enough of an almost callback that I was wondering if maybe she was dreaming about Juris's disintegration.
1: No, weird.
0: Probably not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Fine. (laughs) Again, flashbacks generally don't have sound effects, so tough to find one. Mm -hmm. But those are the closest we got. Sartorially speaking, what aspects of fashion in this issue would you like to highlight?
1: I do have one really good one for this one. Okay. Which is Trigon's cat belt is the tits.
0: <laughs> I always viewed that as a picture of himself <laughs> that is on his the, his codpiece. But yeah, I called that his uh, Trigon's wedding train codpiece. piece. <laughs> <laughs> cause it's got like a wedding veil behind it's, it that like just flows down from his crotch
1: it's pretty on, man i was really into it,
0: it it's a good look
1: it is <laughs> it's, and it's like he's got a high collar he's really showing him up there
0: yeah it's minimalist but very showy his outfit
1: we got some like weird and like high thigh high boots oh yeah I do like his double eyes, too. I mean, in general, Trigon's kind of where it's at in this He's issue. a
0: well-designed character, yeah. visually. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be his head, because it's got the two sets of eyes.
1: Oh, see, I so think I think cats he's got have... his
0: own face.
1: Yeah, I think so, oh. too. But I think cats also have two sets of
0: eyes. Oh, they may. There's a lot about feline anatomy, of which I am not particularly well-versed. I'm a dog person. I know that dogs have two eyes. Cats? Who knows? Could be any number of them. Six? Eight? I don't know. But yeah, there was a lot of interesting fashion in this. There was a certain t-shirt that Donna Troy was wearing that uh, said, Terry Long Fan Club. I believe she is likely the only member of that fan club. You have
1: issues with Mr. Long.
0: I do indeed. I do indeed. And I'm not alone. (laughs) But I did think that was kind of a funny t-shirt to wear. And kind of a weird t-shirt to wear.
1: You haven't seen my collection of Hub Rocks t-shirts?
0: Well, I bought those for you, but they're very popular. A lot of people wear those, Lisa. <laughs> a lot of people. Um, I liked Starfire's Golden Girls robe.
1: Oh. Well, and I mean, they, she is a
0: golden girl, And too. it is in the
1: middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they were talking about the past. Uh-huh. It was a flashback episode. Yeah, they
0: didn't have any cheesecake, though.
1: <laughs> they did make tea.
0: They did make tea, but I mean, it's tough to have campfire cheesecake. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I liked Azar's sarong, which had a removable Dracula collar for for formal occasions. (laughs) She popped the Dracula collar onto it when she was delivering the lecture to the dudes and then, like, just popped back to regular sarong when it was just time to to train her ward. And uh, I, I dug that. I thought that was a pretty good look. Yeah, I think that was all I really had. Although I did notice, man, they changed the colors of it, but they... Like, a lot of the outfits, they're wearing the same outfits that they were in the previous issue, but the colors are swapped on them. And uh, Gar's bright red overalls, not a bad look. And uh, Vic's stylish orange turtleneck with purple pants ensemble, not bad.
1: I was wondering if you had thought something else had happened to his pants.
0: (laughs) It is likely that he got distressed and ripped them off and jumped around in his underpants for a while. Canonically, it is how he deals with stress, as many of us do.
1: That's why our pants budget has to be at least $300 a month.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm not buying fancy pants. (laughs) It's plain old blue-collar pants for me.
1: You are fancy pants.
0: What was your favorite panel?
1: I liked page 13, the, like, studying montage, the training montage. I
0: I had that, too. I called it Lil' golf Kid montage because she looks... She looks really happy in one when she's studying, but she still like has the goth aesthetic and still has the weird recursive eyebrows. I thought that was a pretty cool montage one. Mm -hmm. You said you had.
1: I have one more. Uh, Trigon's like full face on page 20 was just like, oh yeah.
0: I had that as well. Yeah. So pretty. Yeah. And when he's like, your father is pleased to see you. It's like, damn. It was a really well done image. I liked that one a lot. And I liked on page twenty-one there was a panel that I call Dad's Embarrassing Me. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's a it's a panel where you see Trigon in all of his glory in the background, and Raven is saying, Go with you, father. I I know I sense terrible evil in you. I sense death, cruel, heartless murder. But she's just kind of face palming herself and is just being like, Dad, not in front of the other Azarathians. God, I asked you to drop me off a block from here. <laughs> but I really did enjoy the Dad, you're embarrassing me panel. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the speedy and the aqualad of the issue now as with the last issue i decided to focus on the interstitial bits for this the camping framing device within that who was the worst teen titan who was the speedy
1: well i'm actually going to change what i had written down okay raven (laughs) oh mostly because she was dismissive of other people's desires to connect with her
0: yeah i think that's absolutely fair
1: yeah. Although I did initially write down cyborg because he didn't remember his own story, <laughs> and he said his mom had like started to teach him when his dad and he got distanced.
0: Yeah, he's like, no, you went to public school. <laughs> no, you went to public school. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole point. <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah, I think that's a fair choice. I decided to go with Gar. Uh, really just for the bit at the end. I read the intro to it where Cyborg calls him Saladhead and asks what he's grinning at. And he's just heard Raven's incredibly sad and disturbing story. And he goes, what are you grinning about, Saladhead? Just suddenly being glad that my life wasn't that screwy. <laughs> so it's like he hears his teammate and his friend tell this story about how fucked up her childhood was. And he's just grinning his ass off going, "One me! <laughs> <laughs> not great
1: well it makes me excited to read changeling's story
0: <laughs> i'm actually really excited to read changeling's story do you think, too. It's, I think gonna it's gonna be a romp i mean it is a very depressing story but i think it will also be a romp yeah because yeah changeling's lost like at least two sets of parents mm. and an evil stepdad who was trying to kill him i think is dead too but he might not be dead at this point but uh yeah, he's had a rough go of it for the most part.
1: But not as screwy as Raven. So.
0: Nope. <laughs> Just sitting there, wearing his over-a-bib overhauls, grinning at what a shitty childhood his friend had. <laughs> Looks like Garfield wins again.
1: Why are they all such jerks?
0: Ah, uh, they're teenagers.
1: <laughs> That's not the answer, Ben.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel bad now that I talk so much shit about teenagers. I don't, I don't like... In general, like, I don't mean teens today.
1: No, teens today are actually a lot better. Yeah, they're doing a pretty
0: good job. Conversely, who was your Aqualad? Which of the Teen Titans performed the most admirably in these interstitial bits?
1: I'm gonna, like, blow your mind right now. Okay. Dick.
0: Yeah, no, he was a good listener.
1: He was a good listener, and also, he really, really wrapped up the whole thrust of the miniseries. (laughs) Yeah? Yes, on page page eight, he really just gets it, man. Well, first of all, Coriander says, Dick, almost all of us have had tragic childhoods. Is there no happiness in our past? And he says, I don't know, Cori, but maybe that's why we're all driven so. What we are comes from what we were.
0: That's a really nice catch line. And it's also, well, he's making everybody coffee. So, yeah, just all around, nice work, Dick. Well done. I think that's the end of the minutiae, with the exception Wait, of... Wait, I
1: don't know who you're. Aqualad is.
0: Oh, uh, I had that Starfire was a really good listener, and so was Dick. But I think I'm giving the slight nod to Dick, just because uh, he made coffee.
1: Oh, or tea.
0: That's true. Or hot He cocoa. made hot beverages for everybody to enjoy. Well, they sat around and listened to Raven. Well, that does bring us to the question of the day, the question that's on everybody's mind Lisa in the year of our Lord 1982 and the month of our Lord July what poot what poot Lisa what was Aqualad probably up to? Are you so proud of your new acronym noise? I've been doing it for a while What <laughs> <to> <laughs> poot? <Okay.
1: laughs> So, it's July. Aqualad's just kind of like swimming and having a good time, hanging out. Mm -hmm. And one day he decides to go to the movies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he sees one of his favorite films, which was Airplane. Oh. For about two years, Aqualad has been a fan of the movie Airplane. Quote lines from it to his friends Mm -hmm. and make them snort milk out of their noses because it was so funny.
0: Oh, one time yeah. I snorted a, I, I snorted a blueberry out of my nose because I was eating blueberry yogurt.
1: That sounds so painful.
0: Yeah, it wasn't great.
1: What? <laughs> Thanks for sharing. The... It's is a this bad point. so? You know. Um...
0: This is how I'm connecting.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Say, <laughs> like, oh, it sounds like Aqualad really likes, <laughs> really likes uh, the movie Airplane. Surely, <laughs> surely he likes that movie Airplane. <laughs> um but uh so he really likes this movie and he sees that leslie nielsen is gonna appear at a convention where he can go and get his autograph aquila gets really really excited and he decides to go attend the 15th annual comic-con convention in san diego where everyone thinks his outfit is the best and he gets an autograph from leslie nielsen
0: very nice That's a very exciting time. Mm -hmm. And that was Wapoot?
1: That was Wapoot.
0: Ah. That was perhaps part of what Aqualad was probably up to. But Aqualad decided to attend a baseball game. No. Yeah. He was a big fan of the Oakland Athletics. Because he likes any team that just has an adjective for their name. Which means that he likes the Oakland Athletics. (laughs)
1: It is the only one, isn't it?
0: I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, I I really do like the fact that basically the team name is the the Oakland Good at Sports.
1: <laughs> they sometimes are.
0: Yeah, sometimes. And one of the people that was very good at sports who played for Oakland that year was Ricky Henderson. He stole a lot of bases that year. Very quick runner. Very good at referring to himself in the third person. Really one of the fastest uh, baseball players that has ever been. But Aqualad was not perhaps as up on the rules of baseball as he might have been. So he saw Ricky Henderson get off to a pretty big lead at one point. And he nudged the guy next to him. He's like, what's he doing? He's like, I think he's going to steal second base. And Aqualad's like, no stealing. So he yelled out that that was what was happening. And in that game, uh, Ricky Henderson got picked off and caught stealing three times, which was really unheard of for Ricky Henderson. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, because of Aqualad. He's just trying to be a good citizen. He knows that stealing's bad. Uh, but the Oakland fans were less than receptive to, uh, Aqualad's attempts to regulate the game. So he hightailed it out of there and went to New York and, uh, watched a little show called Little Shop of Horrors, which opened in New York that very same day. Of uh, July 27th.
1: Wow.
0: And that was what Aqualad was probably up to on July 27th of 1982.
1: Good job, Aqualad. Yes. Taken into culture.
0: Indeed. Well done. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this issue, Lisa. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks and learn more about old salad heads origin. I think that'll be a nice time for everybody. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this issue kind of a turd. <laughs> i hope you guys enjoyed hearing our take on it and uh i would welcome to hearing your own uh if you'd like to get in touch with us you can do so at ttwasteland at uh, you can find us on facebook on tumblr on all of the internets just
1: twitter is very funny
0: oh t- yeah there's a twitter you could go and follow me there i'll i'll say things
1: he makes funny jokes that he tells me about
0: that's true how else would you learn?
1: <laughs> they just need to go viral.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, if you would like to donate some money to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash TT Wasteland. I learned recently I have been saying backslash. It's regular slash. <laughs> if that has been keeping you from donating, let it do so no further. <laughs> it's patreon.com slash... TT Wasteland.
1: Thanks, Miles.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate the heads up on that one, Miles. (laughs) So yeah, uh, that is for all of your giving us money needs. And I think that wraps things up.
1: That's it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, internet friends.
0: Yes, and thank you for joining us and thank you for your insight, Lisa. I very much appreciated it and I very much look forward to Learning more about Beast Boy, it uh, promises to have exploits of the old Teen Titans, because oh. they did team up on a number of occasions. I believe that number was two. Two occasions. Do you
1: think that if that one is a turd, you could have me on when we don't read a turd book?
0: Yes. I would love to have you on when we don't read a turd book. To be fair, I think that... Uh, in terms of storytelling and artwork the cyborg one the was cyborg not a turd was, yeah. it was a turd in terms of very problematic racial content but
1: i just want to read a romp man
0: we'll get you a romp i promise <laughs> okay
1: okay dear
0: okay thanks guys uh yeah <laughs>
1: yo' yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like when you have a nightmare and you poop
0: oh geez <laughs> that does sound like a nightmare <laughs> thanks you guys bye
1: bye <laughs>